On a clear day in early April, a fisherman was getting ready for his day when he saw something strange floating in the water near him. It glinted in the sunlight, and that's when he realized it was glass. Pulling the strange object from the water, that's when he realized it was something ordinary yet extraordinary at the same time. An ordinary glass bottle with an unbelievable message stored inside. Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor. Today we will be discussing the grounding of the five-masted American schooner, Carol A. Deering. This story has conspiracy theories, messages in bottles, and a bizarre tale that you don't want to miss. Quick disclaimer for our younger audience before we dive in. This story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the loss of a vessel, conspiracies, communism, and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised for those under the age of 13. Please keep in mind that I'm not a mariner or expert in the field of maritime history, but I've done my research. Okay everyone, let's get into it. We don't have a ton of information on what the Carol A. Deering was doing before her fateful final voyage. However, we do know when she was built and who owned her. She was built in Bath, Maine in the United States in 1919 by the G.G. Deering Company Yards to be used as a commercial sailing vessel. The owner of G.G. Deering Company actually named the ship after his son, and she was one of the last large commercial sailing ships to be built. She was built for carrying cargo, and she'd have a very short service history before her final voyage, lasting only one year. She was laid down in 1918, being launched on April 4th, 1919, and completed later that year. Before we get into her final voyage, let's look at her specs. Let's get something straight first. We're going to be talking about the ship's tonnage, so what she weighs essentially, and then tons burthen. Tons burthen is a volumetric measurement of cubic capacity that's not commonly used anymore. It estimated the tonnage of a ship based upon the length and maximum beam. So, for her tonnage, she weighed in at 1,879 tons, and for tons burthen, she displaced 3,500 tons. Since this is an American vessel, that's imperial tons, not metric tons. As for her other specs, she was 255 feet long and had a beam of 44 feet wide. In metric measurements, that's a length of 77.7 .7 meters long and a beam of 13.41 meters wide. She was a sailing ship, being driven by the wind in her sails strung up on five masts. She had two boats for evacuation and could carry a complement of 11 sailors. She was a gorgeous ship, with her hull painted a bright white with a red keel and matching white sails. This ship is considered a ghost ship later on, so the white paint scheme is fitting. If you'd like to hear a story about another ghost ship, check out our bonus episode on the Mary Celeste, a ship whose crew vanished. Alright folks, it's time to get into the final voyage of the Carol A. Deering. But before we do that, if you're enjoying this video, let me know down in the comments section below. Don't forget to give this video a like and subscribe to our channel for more stories like this. If you're on an audio-only format like Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, make sure to subscribe for more episodes and leave us a 5-star review since it does help us reach more listeners like you. Okay, back to the mysterious final voyage of the Carol A. Deering. 
She began a voyage from Puerto Rico on July 19, 1920, arriving in Newport News, Virginia to pick up a cargo of coal to be delivered at Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. She was crewed well, being captained by a hero of World War I who'd been cited for bravery under fire for saving the entirety of his crew on another Deering-built five-masted schooner, the Dorothy B. Barrett, which was sunk by the German submarine U-117 off Cape May, New Jersey in 1918. And this was Captain William H. Merritt. His son, Sewell, was his first mate, and they had a 10-man crew made up almost entirely of Scandinavians, mostly Danes. Over a month later, on August 26, 1920, Carol A. Deering cleared the Virginia Capes heading for Rio de Janeiro. However, Captain Merritt soon became seriously ill, and the ship had to turn back and head into port in Luz, Delaware, to drop him and his son off. Captain Willis B. Warmel, a retired 66-year-old veteran sea captain, was recruited by the Deering Company to replace Merritt on this voyage, with his new first mate, Charles B. McClellan, being hired on as well. Now that we have our crew straightened out, we can continue our final voyage. After these crew changes, they set sail for Brazil on September 8, 1920, arriving safely and delivering their cargo without a problem. So far, it looks like it will be a routine trip. Captain Warmel gave his crew leave and met with a man known only as Captain Goodwin, an old friend of Warmel's who'd captained a different cargo vessel and was also docked in Rio de Janeiro. Warmel complained about his crew and spoke poorly of them with his old buddy, though he did claim he trusted one man, the engineer, Herbert Bates, and Goodwin knew him as well, so the men could agree on this one crew member. If this isn't bad enough, just you wait. The smack talk continues. Continuing with the high school locker room talk, the Deering left Rio de Janeiro on December 2, 1920, and stopped for supplies in Barbados, an island country and microstate in the Lesser Antilles of the West Indies. First mate Willis B. McClellan was highly intoxicated one evening out on the town and complained to the captain of another vessel, the Snow, Captain Hugh Norton, that he couldn't discipline the crew without Captain Warmel getting in the middle of it and undermining him, and that he also had to do all of the navigation due to Warmel's poor eyesight. Later, Captain Norton, his first mate of the Snow, and another captain were in the Continental Cafe and overheard McClellan say, quote, I'll get the captain before we get to Norfolk. I will. McClellan was arrested while inebriated, but was forgiven by Captain Warmel on January 9, 1921, with the captain generously bailing the first mate out of jail and they set sail for Hampton Roads. If you'd like to hear a story with some arrests and an interesting crew, check out our episode on USS PC-1264, a ship ahead of its time. The next time the ship was seen was on January 28, 1921, off North Carolina when the Deering hailed the Cape Lookout lightship. Captain Jacobson, the lightship's keeper, reported a tall, thin man with reddish hair and a foreign accent talking through a megaphone, and this man reported that the ship had lost her anchors in a storm off Cape Fear, a coastal plain and tidewater region of North Carolina centered about the city of Wilmington. The man asked that Captain Jacobson of the lightship alert the owners of G.G. Deering Company, and Jacobson did take note of this to his credit, but unfortunately his radio was out, so he couldn't report in to G.G. Deering Company. He also noticed a bit of a taboo, which was that the crew were loitering on the quarterdeck, 
which was typically not allowed. The next day in the afternoon, the crew of a different ship in the area spotted the Carol A. Deering sailing directly toward the Diamond Shoals, an infamous always shifting cluster of shallow underwater sandbars that extend 8 miles or 13 kilometers out from Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. Curiously, there was no one on deck of the Deering, and so the other ship didn't hail them, assuming they'd spot the Diamond Shoals lightship or the Cape Hatteras lighthouse and change course so they wouldn't crash right into the shoals. Well, let me tell you why they were wrong. Alright folks, a quick note before we get into that. If you have any ships you'd like us to cover, make sure to leave us a comment with your suggestions and you might hear your favorite ship here on the podcast. Check out our community tab to keep up with us, and we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Between the 29th, when she was last sighted, and the 31st, when she was discovered, we have no idea what Carol A. Deering and her crew were up to. What we do know is that she was sighted at dawn by surfman C.P. Brady on January 31st, 1921. Brady was on lookout duty at the Coast Guard station at Cape Hatteras that morning, and he spotted the ship hard aground with all sails set on the outer edge of Diamond Shoals. There's a reason these shoals have the nickname of Graveyard of the Atlantic, and it's because the shoals are responsible for up to 600 shipwrecks along the Hatteras Island and Outer Banks shorelines. Due to bad weather in the area on top of the dangerous nature of the shifty shoals, rescue vessels were unable to reach Carol A. Deering until February 4th when the ship was finally boarded. She'd been beaten severely by the surf over several days, and as soon as those on board looked around, they could tell she had been completely abandoned. But why? Well, her steering equipment had been damaged, the wheel was shattered, the binnacle box was caved in, and the rudder completely disengaged from its stock. Essentially, imagine a car with no brake pads or rotors, the steering column completely destroyed, the speedometer utterly useless, and the transmission utterly shot. You definitely wouldn't want to drive that vehicle, so it's understandable that the crew might abandon ship. But that is if these issues happened before the ship was beached. The ship's two lifeboats were gone, as well as the crew's personal items, the ship's log, and the ship's navigational equipment. In the Deering's galley were the remnants of food that were being prepared for the next day's meal, though it was left partially prepared. The Coast Guard cutter USRC Manning tried to salvage Carol A. Deering, but it was impossible. She was finally declared a hazard to navigation, and she was blown to smithereens with dynamite on March 4, 1921, to keep her from posing a threat to other ships. Later on, a portion of her bow drifted ashore on Ocracoke Island, with wooden timbers from the wreck also washing up on Hatteras Island, and they were used by the locals to build homes. Next, we are going to get into the strange message in a bottle that was found, the investigation, and the strange theories that researchers have posed to explain the crew's abandonment of the vessel and her grounding. First, let's start with that pesky message in a bottle. If you want to hear about another disappearance with alleged messages in bottles, check out our episode on the lost White Star liner SS Neuronic. On April 11, 1921, Christopher Columbus Gray, a local fisherman in North Carolina, alleged he'd found a message in a bottle floating in the waters off the beach of Buxton, North Carolina, and he quickly handed this message over to the police. Allegedly, the content of this message was as follows. Quote, Deering captured by oil-burning boat something like chaser. Taking off everything handcuffing crew. Crew hiding all over ship, no chance to make escape. Finder, please notify headquarters Deering. Interesting, right? Well, the police of Buxton certainly agreed with you. 
The handwriting would later be identified by Captain Warmel's widow as that of the ship's engineer, Henry Bates, and the bottle was manufactured in Brazil. This message, as well as the sighting of a, quote, mysterious steamer that arrived at the Cape Lookout lightship in the wake of the Deering, did seem to support the message's allegations of hostile action toward the crew of the Deering. This steamer's story gets stranger and stranger, folks, since the captain of the lightship had tried to hail the steamer so that they could relay the message from the Deering since his radio was dead, but the steamer didn't respond, and he couldn't get the name of the ship since they'd covered her nameplate with a canvas. If you aren't guilty, what do you have to hide? Though this is all very convincing so far, let's see why it might be a work of fiction. First of all, if Henry Bates did acquire a pen, paper, and a bottle and time to write the message, cork the bottle, and huck it into the sea while they were being raided by the steamer, why on earth would they ask the reader of said message to alert GG Daring Company instead of the authorities? Handwriting experts who examined the note later concluded the message was forged, and after further questioning by federal agents, Fisherman Gray would confess to forgery. Apparently, he'd done so in hope that the publicity would help secure a job for him at the Cape Hatteras light station. Okay, it's time to look into the investigation into the grounding of Carol A. Deering. The U.S. government was obviously concerned with the possibility of hostiles boarding ships so near American shores, so they launched an extensive investigation into the disappearance of the Deering's crew. Five federal departments would look into the case. Commerce, Justice, Navy, State, and Treasury. Herbert Hoover, then the Secretary of Commerce and not yet the 31st President of the United States, was fascinated by the fact that several other ships of various nationalities, most notably of these ships was the sulfur freighter Hewitt, had also disappeared in powerful hurricanes. With the Hewitt and the Deering being proven to have been sailing away from the area of a hurricane at the time of their disappearances. Lawrence Ritchie, Hoover's assistant, was put in charge of the investigation and he tried to chart exactly what happened to the Deering between her last sighting at Cape Lookout and running aground on the shoals, and he did this by reading the logbooks of the Coast Guard lightships that were in the area at the time. Well, this was only one side of the story, of course, and didn't clear the air enough to find the reason for the abandonment. However, an Italian inquiry into the disappearance of the Monte San Michele confirmed that there had been strong hurricanes near the shoals, and so mutiny was accepted as the unofficial explanation for the Deering crew disappearing into thin air. The investigation was closed in late 1922 without citing any official finding for the disappearance in the subsequent report. During its investigation, the U.S. government considered five main theories, and just warning you, some of them involve the Red Scare. So let's define that for our younger audience first. The Red Scare is and was a form of public hysteria provoked by fear of the supposed rise of leftist ideologies in a society, especially communism, and it was very prevalent during the Cold War. Of course, this is before the Cold War, but the United States was still experiencing the first Red Scare during this time frame, known as the Red Scare of 1917, and it continued into the 1920s. And, of course, we did bring up some politics here that can be potentially sensitive subjects to some. All that I ask is that we keep our comment section politically neutral and friendly to all, and that we focus on what's important, the disappearance of Carol A. Deering. Alright, now that that is out of the way, Let's get into some of these theories. The first and most plausible was hurricanes. Hurricanes are a big problem for the east coast of the United States, so I could see this happening. 
The government, particularly the Weather Bureau, were adamant that a series of powerful hurricanes known to have been plaguing the Atlantic at the time was not only the cause for the disappearance of Carol A. Deering's crew, but other disappearances at the time as well. Both the Deering and the Hewitt were heading away from the path of these storms. However, it's been pointed out by several authors that the state of the ship indicates the evacuation was orderly and not panicked. So that does make the hurricane theory a bit less likely. Let's move on to the next theory. Next on the chopping block is piracy. Captain O.W. Parker of the United States Marine Shipping Board believed piracy was definitely possible, and he stated that in his opinion, quote, Piracy without a doubt still exists as it has since the day of the Phoenicians. Phoenicians, for our younger listeners, were an ancient civilization originating in the Levant region of the Eastern Mediterranean. Captain Warmel's widowed wife was a huge advocate of this theory, and it was believed that at the time a group of pirates were responsible for many disappearances. However, there's been no evidence to support this theory, so we have to take it with a grain of salt. Here's our Red Scare-esque theory. Russian or Communist Piracy Officers allegedly found papers that called on members of the United Russian Workers' Party, which was a communist organization, to seize American ships and sail them to the USSR. And this was found during a police raid in the headquarters of the United Russian Workers' Party. Those in the United States government that took a hard stance against communism were staunchly supportive of this theory, but again, no hard evidence has turned up to support this. Anybody feel like drinking? Well, our next theory has to do with rum runners. This disappearance, of course, took place during the Prohibition, and at the time, rum runners would transport and sell liquor to Americans in the United States who just wanted an old-fashioned. There's been speculation that liquor smugglers working out of the Bahamas wanted to steal the ship and use her to run rum. Since she was a large ship and allegedly was carrying roughly a million dollars worth of liquor in her cargo hold, though that hasn't been proven. Though the ship was large, she was pretty noticeable and slow, so she wouldn't have been ideal for rum runners in all honesty. And again, we have no evidence to back this claim. And finally, we have the theory of mutiny, the unofficial explanation for the abandonment of Carol A. Deering. The conflict between Captain Warmel and First Mate McClellan was well documented and suggested that there may have been trouble brewing among the crew of the Deering. Captain Jacobson at Cape Lookout thought that the Deering was a bit off. The man who hailed the lightship was most certainly not Captain Warmel, and he definitely wasn't an officer either. Quote, a plain case of mutiny is what Senator Frederick Hale of Maine stated, agreeing that mutiny was the cause of the crew's disappearance, and discontent with Captain Warmel most certainly could have been the root cause of a mutiny. But again, we still don't have concrete evidence for any particular explanation. If you want to hear about another story involving a crew that didn't particularly get along, check out our episode on Essex, the ship that the novel Moby Dick was based upon. There is more speculation on the Deering's disappearance now that time has passed and our society is a bit more removed from the issues of yesterday, and we'll briefly cover three of them. The first is evacuation, and this is referring to the fact that the Deering's crew simply might have just abandoned ship after the Deering grounded on Diamond Shoals and were unable to make it to shore, being swept out to sea and dying in two small open lifeboats. The second we will cover is possible involvement with SS Hewitt, the other vessel that went missing that we discussed earlier. The Coast Guard found distress signals that had been lit, two red lights high in the rigging, when they boarded Carol A. Deering. 
Hewitt had been in the area, and if they'd seen these distress signals, maybe they scooped up the Deering's crew before the Hewitt went down with all hands. And this means that the Deering's crew would have escaped death on their own ship just to find it on their rescue vessel. If you'd like a video on SS Hewitt, let me know in the comments section. The last explanation I'm going to share is perfect for Halloween, and that is the possibility that some paranormal or supernatural event occurred. Innumerable authors have been cited as saying the disappearance of Carol A. Deering's crew was caused by supernatural phenomena, with one of those explanations being the Bermuda Triangle. The Bermuda Triangle, or Devil's Triangle, is an urban legend focused on a loosely defined region in the western part of the North Atlantic Ocean, where a number of aircraft and ships are said to have disappeared under mysterious circumstances. However, the Bermuda Triangle is hundreds of miles away from Diamond Shoals and Cape Lookout, and there definitely was a crew on board at Cape Lookout, so that makes this theory difficult to believe. This episode couldn't be possible without our lovely patrons! Thank you all so much! If you'd like to support the channel and future episodes, go to patreon.com slash shipwrecksunday to join. There's still no official explanation for the disappearance of the crew of Carol A. Deering, and I don't know if we will ever have one. In September of 1955, the remaining hull of the ship was moved roughly 9 miles or 14 kilometers by Hurricane Ione, and this took this piece of the hull from Okrakoki Island to Hatteras. The ship's namesake, Carol A. Deering, passed away in March of 1967 at the age of 84. May he rest in peace. As of April 2016, her capstan and bell were on display at the graveyard of the Atlantic Museum in Hatteras. This ship and her bizarre story continues to baffle curious armchair historians like myself as well as paranormal and Bermuda Triangle hobbyists for generations, and she's gained a reputation as one of the truly great maritime mysteries, alongside ships like Mary Celeste. As for me, I don't know what to believe. I personally think mutiny is the most likely option given what evidence we do have, but I'm no expert. I just hope the victims of the disaster have found peace and are resting easy. May we never forget the fact that they were human beings with family and friends who loved them, and their loss caused pain and suffering. Stories like this will always be tragic and fascinating, and one of these stories that I've covered is SS Pacific, the sister ship of the ill-fated SS Arctic that disappeared without a trace. I don't know if we will ever truly know what happened to the Carol A. Deering, but that's the story we have for her today. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. Stay tuned next week for the story of the second RMS Laconia, a Cunarder requisitioned into wartime service, being sunk by a U-boat and killing hundreds of Italian prisoners of war. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.